Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. Tonight is our second annual Best of the Book Club Awards. As we we take a few moments, like a lot of moments, to recognize our favorite characters and and the moments and quotes and things that made us laugh in 2020 for the book club. If you've been following our cast, most of these will come as a little surprise and should be familiar. But obligatory spoiler warning we will before we announce our award we will say the book that it's from and we're going to try to keep our awards again to around one to two minutes so if you haven't read a book that we're talking about go ahead and skip ahead unfortunately so many of our favorite things it's just really hard to present spoiler free additionally last year i think we had a couple people who played along at home and gave us with their opinion not only their opinions on our awards but their awards We heartily encourage anyone to participate at home because we also love hearing what you guys loved this year. With that, let's dive in. Let's start with my personal favorite category, our favorite bro slash romance. This can either be a romantic coupling like, say, Tona Crid and Dermot Caffron, or it can just be a friendship that really struck a chord with us, like, say, Uriel and Pisanias. So, Carrie, do you want to go ahead and start us off? Who's your favorite bro or romance of the year? It would have to be the odd couple of Orokin and Trazen. Oh my gosh. Okay, so walk us through. Why Why well, are these your favorite couple? Because they're literally the Oscar and Felix of the, uh, the, the Necrons. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, you know, because I, I knew Trazen, like we talked about this in the actual podcast, that we, I knew Trazen before because of Josh Reynolds, my first experience with Orokin, and I didn't like him at all at first. But like a fungus, I guess like an orc, he kind of grew on me. And just seeing them go tit for tat and then being forced to work together. And it's like, oh, you guys are becoming best friends. And then Orokin betrayed him. I was like, no, you're supposed to be best friends. And then when Trazen comes back and he betrays Orokin and Orokin's pleading with him, I was like, no, you're supposed to be best friends. But yes, so that's, yeah. So these were my honorable mention because for everything that you said, I loved that it was it was like Oscar and Felix. These are two characters who, pre- who are presented on pretty equal footing as being really flawed, but also really awesome. Mm-hmm. So- if you ever watched the movie The Odd Couple, there's, or even the TV show, um, there's, or the stage play, Oscar, it's not one of those things where, like, Felix is the protagonist and Oscar is just this irritating antagonist. No, they are very much flawed human beings. And granted, Trace and Orican are flawed Necron beings, but it's just this wonderful wonderful back and forth throughout time and they each have a moment of awesome they each have a disappointing moment they do some underhanded things they both get friends they both friends really petty with one another everyone is richer for the experience (laughs) yeah like i this these two i think each one of them really stole it each one of them destroyed an entire civilization in the name of being petty i mean so, you know, Orokin brought orcs because he got all pissy with the Eldar. And then uh, Trazen brought in the Gene Stealers because he wanted to play a prank on Orokin. <laughs> yeah. Hysterical. It's, I mean, one of my favorites, um, uh, Kyle, 
the manager at the games workshop here in Denver. If you're at the Denver, if you're in the Denver area, definitely go see my man, Kyle. He described the book as Abbott and Costello through time. <clears throat> and with that kind of stuff, I was like, yeah, very much on point. And they were my honorable mention. I don't think you can go wrong with putting them as the top because they were just awesome. Yeah, I know what, your, what yours is. This is the same one it was last year. It is. I'm sorry. It's from Watchers of the Throne. And it is Valerian and Alea. And look, all of my giant soulless babies jokes aside and me being a professional shipper for Valerian and Alea. Yes, I just like adverbed that. Anyways, important. Um, I love this friendship because... Alea and Valerian, and I still stay, I think I said this last year and I stand by it this year. They are two like fundamentally broken people. They are two people who have been like removed from other people for so long for differing reasons. And they're able to form this actual connection with another human being. And just, and I know that a lot of it comes down to like, this is how the emperor intended things. But the fact that they have found another person with whom they can relate and they have had they forged this connection. I'm actually going to make a Miyazaki quote here. Years ago, Miyazaki talked about, <laughs> bear with me. He talked about the fact that most of his movies have female protagonists. And he talks about how in all of his movies, his female protagonists, along the way, they make a friend. A friend who is their confidant and their companion, but never their savior. And I love that Valerian and Alea are never each other's savior. They are their friends. They are the confidants and companions, but they never are the savior. Like you don't get the impression that these, the other person needs this other person or they can't function. Right. I think their friendship might be one of the most beautiful things that Chris Wright has introduced to the Warhammer 40k universe. Yeah, I'll say it. (laughs) I can't help but notice you didn't have an honorable mention. Because I couldn't. I honestly, because I was like, you know, because I, I think I even said Valerian and Alea last year. I was like, I can't see them again. I mean, yes, their friendship is cool, but and I really was going through like I had Goodreads out because I didn't remember every single book that we had marked for 2020 because we've read a lot and not all of it was so was published this year. I mean, there was like this whole block of Fabius Bile and I knew there was really nobody in there. Um, I guess if I would have an honorable mention it might be um gosh it'd be from the fabius bio books it would be sakara and man the number uh the uh, world eater arian arian yes because they had a really interesting dynamic between the two of them especially especially in the end yes i would agree and there's Theirs is an interesting friendship because they start kind of just like, mm, whatever, very ambivalent toward each other. And then towards the end of the book, you get the impression that these two are actually have a begrudging friendship because mm-hmm. nobody's really wants to be friends with the word bearer. Right. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Or a world eater for that matter. I mean, Ex- excuse. Excuse. I'm s- that, that one is drugged all to hell. So he's safe and okay. <laughs> Okay, so get he, you a get you a stoned world eater. So, uh, he's like he's on drugs, so therefore he's okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I know that I've previously said like never trust a drug addict, but unless it's a world eater, in which case you know, horse tranquilizers are kind of your friends. Or Cullen, Dragon Age Inquisition. 
It's okay, you help him get over his heroin addiction. <laughs> Anyways. Our second category is our favorite quote. And this is actually one of, another one of my favorite categories because these are the lines that just stuck in our brains as either being particularly well-written, sassy, or just generally memorable. And my favorite quote this year also came from Watchers of the Throne too. And it's in the end when Jack says, it was some comfort to know that we had been right about the numbers. There were indeed 12 of them. And I loved this quote at the time and it really stuck with me all year because Jack as a character really didn't serve a whole lot of narrative purpose. Like you could have removed her and the events would have unfolded much as they did. She really was only there as a red herring for us because she's the one who points us towards the assassins. I think and then she also served an interesting purpose and in that yes, she's always kind of been, you know, she was always the chancellor's aide. So she's always mm -hmm. been around this, but now this is all hers. And what a time to suddenly have this position. So oh my goodness. I thought, you know, yes, you're, you're right. You know, it was kind of, you know, Indiana Jones at the Raiders of the Lost Ark didn't need to be there. Things would have happened anyway, but she kind of provided a f interesting um, kind of overall look at the chaos and some of the um, futility, see a lot of the futility I of the Imperium. Of the Imperium, very much so. I felt like she, she wasn't the everyman stand-in, but she was kind of close. Like she was close to like the, I don't know. I guess just like this representative for the Imperium, and I loved the way she said it because like she had everything wrong, except there were twelve of them. When those assassins pop out and she's like, okay, at least I had that right. <laughs> like I knew there was something wrong with the assassins. Well, the way, the way I kind of took her was it was like she's playing the game of Clue. She had the room and the murder weapon, but didn't have the suspect. Fair. Hmm. That's actually, well, she had the room that was adjacent. Because <laughs> she was in the right place. She was in the right room, but she actually chose the library not the ballroom which is where she's standing <clears throat> half credits fine though that's totally fine so funnily enough your favorite quote is also from watchers of the throne too yeah it's this is actually something that has just it's stayed with me since uh you know and knowing me you think i'd pick a super funny quote but this one just so enveloped the imperium so well it's a comment Alea made when she's been sent to the moon, Luna, to kind of kind of start to research what the hell happened with the Sisters of Silence. And um, she says she's trying to uncover some of the secrets. She, you know, gets to the secrets of the Selenar, you know, which is probably, and talk about a Pandora's box. <laughs> you just maybe not be ready to open all yeah. that yet. And um, she's trying to sort out what's going on. The guys end up killing one another, and so and so she makes this comment about how and her and doesn't say it out loud, obviously, or even signs it. But she's just so frustrated that they're so willing to keep their stupid little secrets that they're gonna die die over it. So she says, "This was the madness of this Imperium writ large, made plain, underlined, and double stamped." Really, it's the double stamped that did it for me. I was like, all it needed was like in triplicate <laughs> to be complete. Pretty much. And it 
I also love this quote because it captures the bitterness of Alea. It captures so many things, like just the bitterness of, of Alea. To me, it's also right there. It's like, that's why Gulliman chose you to do this because I guarantee he sees this as well. 100%. He's seeing how all of this is just utter chaos and everyone's so busy guarding their stupid secrets that he doesn't even understand why they're keeping them secret. You know, because he's totally like, well, back in my day, we all knew this stuff. Like, what's what's the big deal? Uh, but I guess if they didn't have these secrets, the Inquisition wouldn't exist and we can't have that. You know, um, those jobs yeah. might be at stake. <laughs> Everybody's got to feed their family, guys. Well, yes. I mean, how are you going to keep the masses miserable without the Inquisition? Let's be real. That's true. Hmm. I also can't argue with that particular point. <laughs> Honorable mention comes from the infinite and the divine. And this should not be too much of a surprise. Because one of the things that Carrie and I talk about a lot is this quote from Dragon Age. that From a Dragon Age... Um, event, I think it was at PAC, where they said, mm -hmm. they were talking about the world and they were like, if we had to define the Dragon Age series in one sentence, it would be, magic is dangerous and people are flawed. And I've always liked it's that. It's just got chills all over again. I know, right? Because you think about it and you're like, I mean, it's the perfect description. In the Infinite and the Divine, at one point when they're facing the orcs, Trazen makes a quip about how there's nothing more dangerous in the universe than an orc having fun. And if I had to define the orcs in one pithy statement, it would be that. I loved it because I think it captures an idea that you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast, which is that the orcs are hysterical because they're having fun and they just love this. And it's just good old fashioned fun for them. They're absolutely terrifying as mm -hmm. an enemy, as a force. Their wah is horrific and they're having fun that's how you know that they're I, having fun that sentence pretty much pretty much the, the more terrible it is probably the more fun they're having um so i really liked that statement because not only was it funny especially in the scene but i was like that's that's how you describe the orcs in one sentence or less yep there's nothing more dangerous than an orc having fun absolutely loved it which and again like we have parody going on here your honorable mention deals with orcs yeah it's from brutal con honestly you could just go on ahead and just slap the entire book of brutal con in into favorite quote because this is really really hard picking one because i wrote down so many but this one made me laugh the hardest and it was aiming was for cowards because i think that also sums up the orcs really well <laughs> okay to be fair yes yeah i think actually you could probably sum them up like that would be like the there's nothing more dangerous than work having fun and amens for cowards mm -hmm. yeah it that was another line that was so well placed in the scene it was very funny and i remember both of us looking at it going yeah i mean <laughs> well if you think about it he has something called a shooter you can't aim a shooter. It's just meant to go shoot. You That's know, true. You don't aim with it. Pretty much. 
yeah, I can't. Again, I can't. I can't argue with that one. Um, that, and yes, well, we're going to talk a lot more about brutal cunning as we actually in this next, in our next topic, which is our funniest moment. So I know that we talked about this recently in our one of our Patreon episodes, and we talked about this in the Infinite and the Divine podcast, which is that the Warhammer 40k universe is not necessarily known for its humor. Like, haha, it's such a hilarious universe because it's just death and misery like all around. Um, but it's full of a lot of laughs and a lot of humor. So these are the scenes that provided either just like a much needed laugh because they were well-timed or they were just perfectly timed and enjoyable. And we got to mention them. Gosh, darn it. I'm going to let you start because of okay. your. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows. Everyone already knows what mine's going to be because I've been saying this all year. I said it on Twitter. I said it in our pod and our Patreon uh, Voxcast that was just last week. Funniest moment, hands down. This was never going to be topped. It is from uh, Lords of Silence. The Death Guard ship literally crapping on the Mechanicus. That scene. Okay. You want to talk about a well-timed moment. And I think we just talked about this in our Patreon episode. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel tawdry. It doesn't feel crude. It Not only is it hilarious, but you're like, oh, that makes sense. You know, it just, it really, when it happened, I was like, oh, of course the Death Guard would do that. That just makes 100% sense. And, and the way he described it, he put it in a way that was just as mundane as if they were loading torpedoes into the holding bay. Yes. You know, just very matter of fact. The only close he got to, like, a little bit of this is going to be funny is when he mentioned that the, when Vorks gave the order and the uh, other officers in the room kind of perked up because they knew exactly what he was going to do. And then he said, bowels of the ship. And that was about as close as you got. And it's even when I was reading, I was like, wait, is this it was what? Is, is this really what I think it is? And then when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah. that is. That's exactly it's what that exactly was. exactly what you think it is. And what a mm-hmm. Death Guard thing to do. Oh, my God. Like, it. honestly, could you have something more Death Guardy? And because it's the Mechanicus, all I could think of was Mo from uh, Wally, <laughs> just frantically trying to scrub it all out. <laughs> So, yeah, like in Up or uh, Wally, Mo. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Mo. <laughs> he would just would have exactly. gone nuts. Pretty much. And I, again, just the idea of the people who hate the flesh and anything organic getting organic dropped on them. And I'm sure that wasn't good for the hull. I'm sure it might have had some corrosive properties. Oh, no doubt. And it was particularly funny because, like, just previous, they had been talking about how none of the other Chaos guys really like to get around the Death Guard because even oh, no. they find them distasteful. And at first, you're like, well, I mean, would you? I mean, their ships have pustules on them. I'm sorry. You just, no. Like, when they talk about, you know, the pimple on something, they're really talking about... 
the literal, you know, it's not just the blister or something, not the pimple, the blister. When they're talking about the blister, where the gunman would be, they're really talking about a blister. Blisters and pustules and boils. Boils is the thing that they talk about that I'm like, they're not kidding. That's no. an actual boil. Mm hmm. Bleh. Anyways. Anyway, I w I'm just saying, I don't care what other part of the chaos you're on. You don't want that. <laughs> well, and I think that's why it was so funny is it's like, oh, you guys are a little high in my... Oh, no, that's disgusting. Because even <laughs> when you get with the chaos divided and they're trying to divvy it up with the, between the four, Nurgle doesn't really get his lion's share as the rest of them do. No, and I cannot imagine, like, even, like, the word bearers, as you said, like, I would imagine even them being like, no, no, that's not right. That's just mean, man. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to a cleaner scene. Mine comes from Infinite and Divine, the Divine, and it's the scene in which Orokin and Trazen return to the planet where they wreaked so much havoc. And there's a statue of Trazen. Now, granted, he's this, like, silver skull. Yeah, I, I love it, yeah. Absolutely love it. But when he talks about how, oh, well, the Inquisition figured out what it was, and they, uh, you know, they tore down the statue, and Orokin's like, did you steal the statue? Well, of course I did. It's my statue. <laughs> that whole scene is so funny, because it's so over the top, and it really... It hits at one of the things that we kind of know about the Warhammer 40k universe where so much is lost, mm -hmm. right? Because we're talking about such broad swaths of time. So the idea that the friggin' Necrons could be fighting on your planet and it gets memorialized is just really like oddly kind of skinny space marines because, you know, right. I mean, who really knows what a space marine looks like, right? It's true. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. And I love the idea of some inquisitor looking into this being like, just doesn't make sense. And oh, it's from the just popping in and being silver, like silver Point. skulls chapter from the from the um, ultramarines. Yeah, I'll be right back. Totally. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna take that statue though. But no, it was just yes. treason. Just treason. Well, and I love when he's still with that because they end that scene. Do you have a statue, Orokin? It was such a perfect little needle. Like, isn't this crazy? You don't have one. <laughs> Just, yeah, that was good. That was a good scene. The whole thing. And I do love that it ends with the glass window being destroyed. And he's like, somebody destroyed my window. And Oregon's like, someone must have thought it was ugly. Just that whole, yeah. that whole bit is brilliant. So what about your honorable mention? Ah, uh, yes, it's from, uh, actually, I wrote Clone Lord, but it's actually from Manflare. I wrote the wrong one. It is, it, yes. Yeah, it's from Manflare. It's like one of the, early on when the book was actually good. Um, anyway, not better. So anyway, carrying on. So it's when uh, Korag, who is our wonderful Death Guard apothecary, just seems so uh, oxymoron. You think about it. Yeah. Uh, he's talking to one of the new new guys on there is a night lord and just kind of like pats him on the back and immediately the night lord like jumps and it's a disinfectant spray and just goes all on down his pauldron it's just very subtle 
very funny because I think everybody would do that if a Death Guard touched him. Well, and that was kind of a running gag with Korag, him and his pet, right? That everybody, right. and remember, Fabius Bile even says, everyone likes Korag because Korag's super affable. But nobody really wants to be in the vicinity of Korag. I remember how upset, like, Fabius was in the beginning of Clone Lord when he finds out it was Korag who actually finished the operation. And he was just like, oh my god, is that even sanitary? I was like... And I want to be like, dude, you're Emperor's children. Do you really care about sanitation at this point? But again, even by chaos standards, the Death Guard are gross. I just find it humorous that some guy who makes flush chairs, okay, is worried about being sanitary. Again, there's, you know, there's like, we're disgusting, but we're not those guys. <laughs> Like, that's, that's like, legit gross. Mm. Nice distinction, that. yeah. No, that scene was very funny in that book, and I really did like Korak as a character, too, and those little flavor touches. Flavor is not a good word for that particular character. Um, those little touches were really nice. With Bactine. Right. Lots, all the Bactine. Like all the Bacitracin. Bactine, Lysol, <laughs> Bleach... Get ammonia. it all in there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you got. Just don't mix bleach and ammonia at the same time. Everybody loves mustard gas. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, so my honorable mention actually comes from Brutal Cunning. And it's the scene in which Uthak names his squig. And the reason it was so funny to me is that I really like the Legio Titanica. Like, I, I love everything about the Titans and the idea of the this proud noble person right who runs an entire titan he's part of the machine like and princeps princeps such a fancy formal word so listening to if that try to sound it out because the squig killed the poor princeps like, i'm gonna call you prince prin princess like <laughs> And just the idea of basically a murder pig being named princess. And the idea of this big, tough orc having a little pet murder pig named princess. That tickled my funny bone like so hard in that book. Every time he would talk about princess and especially when he would coo at it and he'd be like, who's a good squig? <laughs> but him trying to sound out princeps and coming up with princess like mike brick he, mike bricks knew what he was doing there oh yeah that was yeah that was so very well funny. he tweeted that i don't know how many times so he's like i still can't believe they let me name a squig princess he yes that was totally on purpose to be honest like on one hand i also kind of can't believe that they let him name a squig princess but on the other hand again it's fully within the orcs idiom oh yeah to try to sound it out and yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They would know what a princess was, like conceptually speaking, right? Would they? I just think probably. I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't think so. I think you know, he just the word just princess. Like that's what it says. That's what what you are. When you say princess, I like either picture like a big poofy like Cinderella or Princess Aurora dress, or like a little Pomeranian sitting inside of a purse. Or Chihuahua. 
Or a chihuahua with like a rhinestone collar. Mm -hmm. So really, a squig. Sure. Absolutely love that one. So let's talk about, and I don't know about you, but I really struggled with this category this year. Because last year, we read so many books that had just deep gut punches. This is our biggest, oh my god, scene. These don't necessarily have to be major lore upsets, but just scenes that either figuratively or literally had our jaws agape or just saying, whoa. In the King Reeves way, of course, naturally. Whoa. Like, the stuff that just kind of, for lack of better phrasing, blew our mind. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, we actually had the same one as our run is our number one and it's the scene in watchers of the three watchers of the three watchers of the throne too where rowboat girlyman basically pulls a michael corleone you get to the edge of the book and you realize oh my god he gathered all of his enemies together to wipe them out oh he just had orchestrated everything he knew exactly what was going to happen to me it was even more than getting the enemies together it was he knew if he put this person here and this person there what exactly the plays would be he had it down to almost like the minute of how things how things were going to go because like even like at the at the very end when they realize um I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what it was because it's been been so long since since we read it. But they're like, "Well, why was this even there?" Like, "Well, he told me to be here," and it was like, "Well, how would he even know that this was going to happen?" And right then, it's like, "My God, man! Like, I don't want to play chess against you because you've already before I've even moved my pawn, you already know how you're going to win." Jen? Uh, what's going on? My computer just froze. Oh, okay. Randomly. Hmm. No idea what happened there. Um, well, you were moving just fine, so. Oh, good. Well, awesome. Um, <laughs> this is not the internet. Yay. So, Yes. To, to everything that I did here. Um, the idea, because I remember we even said this in our podcast when we read Watches of the Throne 2. There's this scene where, to borrow a British phrase, I think like one of the generals that he grabbed is probably feeling rather chuffed with himself, right? Because so clearly not a good dude. And you know that he's thinking to himself, this Primarch does not know what's going to hit him. Oh, pumpkin. Someone didn't know what was going to hit them. It wasn't Robbie Bobby. It was not Robbie Bobby. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Which I think it was It was a master stroke. Because again, similar to The Godfather, it basically sent a message. I'm not toying around. And I don't have time for this. And while I personally won't kill you, there will be no questions who organized all of this. So... I liked that scene, especially because, remember, before they retconned and changed the time space between um, Dark Imperium and the events of him waking up, it kind of explains why people are not only a little leery of him, 
but also a little angry with him. Well, I think you kind of knew that just from reading the first book of Dark Imperium, because basically talked about how he just kind of went in there and was like, well, what happened then? Oh, you don't need to know that. Excuse me? What do you mean? I don't need to know that. Or why are you guys doing this? Why is this not being talked about? Yeah, no, we don't discuss it. Well, I'm going to. He just, you know, kind of came in with his 30,000, his 30K mentality. And they're like, well, that was the old ways. We won't do that anymore. Well, I'm sorry. Things were better back in 30K. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, we, we, we've seen this meme where, you know, that this is fine, dog, is... You know, everything's burning and they're like, 40K, this is fine. He's out in the field. This is how we do. It's on the field, there's rainbows. Like, this is like, this is 30K. It's like, this is intolerable. That's pretty much exactly what was going on. You know, especially after reading um, the Mechanicus, the Mechanicum book, like all of that technology that got lost because of Horus. Um, and a lot of it, you know, Reboot remembers, Reboot knows. So he's watching the Mechanicus like flounder around and not really know what they're doing anymore. And he's just like, oh my God, what is, what has happened? And he's probably wishing he never woke up. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's actually one of my favorite memes is the one where he yeah. wakes up the lion and explains everything. And the lion's like, I'm just going to go back to sleep. And Robbie Bobby's like, if I have to be awake, <laughs> you have to be awake. Like love the idea of it but it was just it was such a master stroke actually that whole end sequence was a master stroke and from it, rape and right there it showed why it's called the regent shadow because the regent wasn't there but was not there at all but his shadow is long and it really and it goes into like you know he tells valerian like i'm gonna honor you with these laurels and he's like please no it's like no this is just what I'm going to do, and he didn't want to, and the Custodes kind of mocking him for it, and then it ended up being the best thing for him because Reboot can see the lawn game. Incredibly well, and so. I think, and that's, I think, the other thing is that it just reaffirmed this guy is not playing your short-term petty politics. He's playing the long game. Yeah. And everyone who thinks that, they, I love it, and everyone's Think, well, we don't. We're not going to have this Primarch rule. You guys think you're going to outlive this guy? Um, considering how back in 30k they weren't sure if Space Marines would die of natural causes, they're like they would probably live forever. I mean, Dante is a pretty good proof of that right now. Um, you know, they had no idea how long, long they could live, and this is a Primarch who's got direct genes. From the guy that's rotting on the throne over there so he's still alive this guy's gonna outlive you all and he's Pretty much. and yeah he's you guys may have the rejuvenate treatments but you're not living another 500 years he's born with it yours is l'oreal <laughs> maybelline whatever <laughs> he's, anyways <laughs> he's also worth it like l'oreal um yes exactly that he's yeah he's not going anywhere he's got all the time in the world and yet he has no time for your pettiness (laughs) and it just made for such an absolutely just wonderful masterstroke and it also again it just sent that message of don't toy with me i'm not you're not smarter than i am it absolutely wonderful 
loved that scene and that that was and i actually i feel so bad because i kind of forgot about it until you wrote it down and then i was like oh my gosh you're right i forgot that i just i remember reading the book being like oh he did not and the answer was yes he did oh yeah he did (laughs) oh yeah he did so my honorable mention is another oh he did not moment and it comes from the emperor's gift and it's the scene in which the wolf lord of the space wolves bamps over to the inquisitor's ship and the whole scene is wonderful because the wolf lord just radiates malice and danger off of him right in a is this, Grim- is this logan grimnar okay yes yeah. He has, like, in a room full of dangerous people, he's just dangerous, right? Like, again, like a wolf at your doorstep. And they, he's, they're kind of parlaying, and then all of a sudden, he just kills the Inquisitor, just as mm-hmm. Carrie would say. See? Still can't do it as well. But like that. I mean, just kills him, and then bamps off the ship. As one does... But there's that moment, and it reminded me a lot, actually, of the uh, Spear of the Emperor, the scene where the chapter master's head falls forward, mm-hmm. where it's a moment of everybody on the ship going, what just happened? Especially because he had his axe turned down, and he was leaning on the pommel. And he manages to swing that puppy up and just, oh man, again, yeah. Space Marines are dangerous. The wolves are especially dangerous. And the Wolf Lord is like danger times three. Just this is, and this is before he was the Wolf King, too. So, yeah. <laughs> when Grimnar just, just, oh my gosh. And I remember reading the book, like, there was a moment of, and then, of course, oh my God. Like, of course he did that. Like, it, it, it went from being, like, a shocked, oh, my God, to, like, a really excited, oh, mm-hmm. my God. Of course he would do that. Even the Grey Knights were just like, we kind of wanted to do that, but cool. Maybe we couldn't do that. Right. Like, <laughs> yes, and I think it's, um, I think Hyperion even kind of thinks, like, I mean, we were all thinking that. Right. <laughs> Basically has that moment. But that was, again, it's not, like, a huge, well, I mean. Actually, it kind of is a huge lore upset because that's pretty much... I mean, they were already at odds with the Inquisition and that pretty much seals their fate with the Inquisition mm-hmm. for, like, all time. And um, so that is actually a pretty major lore upset, but it didn't it, it didn't end with the call to Robbie Bobby lore upset because well, he was still sleeping at the yeah, time. Yeah, he was still sleeping at the time. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is older. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It ends up with a prayer to uh it ends up with a prayer to the russ i don't know everybody going please deliver us from the inquisition <laughs> um well written scene and oh my god moment yours adb i mean you know pretty much and speaking of adb and the wolves your honorable mention yeah it's from ragnar blackmane and uh it's the scene where so Ragnar and Razor Tongue have been captured by the Flesh Terrors. The Flesh Terrors chaplain is a horrible, horrible man and basically sends them out to the death jungle to die. 
And as they're out there trying to fend for themselves, we got these two guys who hate each other. They've tried to kill each other, I don't know how many times. Uh, they're both itching for a reason, or so it seems. They're itching for a reason to kill one another. And then Razor Tongue admits, by the way, our Jarl put me up to this. He told me to do this. He told me to release that other one. He's told me to constantly go at you because he wants to see what kind of wolf you are. And it's one of those like, oh man, why do you have to be like so likable now? <laughs> at the end, when you're dying. God damn you, Because it made us super sad that he died. And he went out like a wolf would. Oh. Killing a monster. Oh my god. Well, and I... <laughs> That scene's wonderful, too, when he goes out because the flesh terror is kind of looking down at him like, are we going to intervene? And he looks at Ragnar and Ragnar's like, he's okay. I guess we're just going to watch this guy die. Yeah, but he took it down with him. Yeah. Oh, exactly. He died like in a badass wolf way. Like, let's be yeah. honest. The other mm -hmm. wolves would be like, ah, <laughs> raise, a, raise a pint in his honor. That that was a very nice scene and it was kind of one of those I, I didn't like have an oh my god moment with it but I was like oh the wolves that is fully within their character well I had that moment because I had hated him this whole time I was like why is this guy doing this like why is he trying to kill Ragnar the only thing I think of is jealousy that's the only thing I could think of right of, of what was going on and then to, for it to find out it's like oh no the Jarl had put him up to this this whole time to basically basically nip at his heels like an annoying little herding dog it's just like oh my god of course it is of course because why would this guy be such an asshole otherwise right well and um oh my gosh it just left my mind too oh shoot um, I was going to say, we had just watched one of my all-time favorite science fiction movies, which is The Wrath of Khan. And there's the, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's the pet, the test, the impossible to pass test. And in the beginning, um, when Kirstie Alley's character, when she fails the test, she's like, this is an unfair test for my ability to lead because you can't win. And Kirk says to her, like, do you not think that that's easily one of the best tests for a captain? Not only how you do in your successes, but how you do in the face of death. And she's like, oh, well, I hadn't thought of it that way before. It really stroked those same, like, that same vibe of, yeah, we've seen how you fight. We see how you do this. But how do you do when you constantly have somebody biting at your heels and constantly nagging at you? Which, because they do encourage that type of character within their legions, right? Mm -hmm. They like to have, they like to have Lucas the trickster. They like to have the guy who's willing to just speak his mind. How do you handle that? Perfectly, perfectly valid test of leadership. Razor Tongue clearly enjoyed it a little too much, so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny that his uh, hand got shot off, though. Probably wasn't That's bargaining true. for that. Uh, no. <laughs> well, I did like the idea that every now and then, like, we like this. We like this little challenge. But every now and then, like, it, it bleeds over and we're not dealing with this challenge. <laughs> this is between you guys and don't get us involved. I mean, at least Lucas knows how to contain it. 
Kind, yes, kind of. He definitely directs it a little bit more. Right, but he keeps it within. Like, he doesn't let it, you know, bleed over to, like, what was going on with, with Ragnar and, uh, right, and right. Razor Tongue. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. So let's talk about our favorite scene. And this is a little different from the Oh My God scenes, mm-hmm. because our favorite scenes, these were the scenes that as they played out, we were, like, cheering for it or just... <laughs> They just replay constantly mm-hmm. in our minds. There was something so cinematic about them. And your first one, again, comes from the Emperor's Gift. Yeah, it's because, uh, you know, I kind of likened the Emperor's Gift to Kill a Mockingbird. And that is just, you know, some random thing that's mentioned in the beginning. You're like, I have no idea how this, what this means. And then at the very end, it's like, oh my God, how it all comes together. And the Emperor's Gift, like To Kill a Mockingbird, actually had me wiping tears at, at the very end. And what really got me, the end of this, was uh, there's a very big scene in the middle of the book where Hyperion is being stupid, kind of being a show-off, and he should have been killed by this demon. But instead, Sothis sacrifices himself to save Hyperion. And so, and Hyperion's best friend is Malkadiel, who is Sothis's blood brother. And so it's tradition that when someone, a Grey Knight, falls in battle, they go back home and they ring the bell, like for whom the bell tolls for them. And um, Hyperion asks that he does it, that he rings the bell. Well, at the very end, Malkadiel gets to go train to be a tech marine. And it's Hyperion who picks him, basically picks him up or greets him when he, when he returns and immediately takes him to go ring the bell together. And that happens like, oh my god, but it's such a wonderful tribute to Sothis. It just kind of made full circle Hyperion's development from being this, you know, because he's one of those that is, he's such a powerful great knight he's arrogant and doesn't realize he doesn't think too far ahead and one of his closest friends was killed because of it very much so and it was a nice it was a nice full circle moment for him it was a nice full circle for Malkadiel Um, and it it was a nice celebration of the character of Sothis Mm -hmm. or Sothis it was a nice it was just a nice moment in the book and I I did very much like that scene as mm-hmm. well when you get there and you're just like yeah it was a good payoff to something that was as you said something that was mentioned earlier and you and I think that was a really nice scene because you could imagine that bell tolling right yeah and I could hear it I mean oh yeah very much it really had a nice cinematic moment to it yeah absolutely so my favorite scene comes from Lords of Silence and it's actually at the end of Lords of Silence and it's the scene where the word bearers have realized that they're um, actually let's start back a little bit. It's when Vorx realizes Vorx reveals he knew all along that the word bearers were bad news. He knew all along who the traitor was on his ship and the word bearers are trying to stab their victims. Nothing's happening. And Vorks just teleports onto that platform. And they talk about him walking down the steps, just swinging his scythe as he talks. 
and every word is deliberate and slow very much like Vorx, right and that's when you learn that this guy this guy is not addle-minded he is not slow he is very sharp he's just very deliberate mm-hmm and that scene of him just walking down, sassing off the word bearer, swinging his scythe. And when his reluctant protege, Dragon, when he kind of comes up alongside him is like, Siege Master. Like, just this moment, it was... Like, I'm getting chills thinking about it because it was so cinematic. I loved Vorx as a character. And I really did like... Uh, Dragon, because when he's talking about like, uh, I think I made the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Maybe I like Typhus better. I felt like in that scene, he was like, nope, this is where I belong. I was like, I get it. I get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, <laughs> I underestimated you, like everybody else. And I loved also when the word bearers are kind of like, oh no. <laughs> like, we, we underestimated you. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of a bad moment. But it was just, it was my favorite scene because I could picture it so vividly. And it's pretty much been on a loop in my head since it happened. Just this wonderful, which, because Carrie is the best friend in the entire world. (laughs) For my 40th birthday this year, she got me the art print of Vorks and a few of the other members mm-hmm. i think Philemon is on there uh-huh. and i think the guy up front with the claws dragon right mm-hmm. and i absolutely love it <laughs> mostly because of that scene even though it's a little gross well it's the death guard so yes it is going to be gross it's framed and hanging in our dining room that's how much my husband loves me <laughs> that's really not a good dinner topic but you know just to look it's up, okay at, to look look up at the guy that's, uh, you know, bloated and has, like, tentacles hanging out. Just don't look at him. Actually, Philemon's the one, because he's the one who has the hood, and he's, like, just teeth, like, his lips are full back, so he kind of looks a little skeleton. Oh, no, just, he, like, he is, like, a skeleton, like, with hardly any skin left on there. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more about that poster later. But... <laughs> What's your runner-up for your favorite scene? Uh, it's, you know, kind of around the same same idea. It's when, because uh, Vorks, I think, had just been warned by, I don't remember who it was. He, he'd, he'd just been warned that um, that one guy was up to no good. And mm-hmm. as he's walking towards where the word bearers are supposed to be hacking things apart, and he's just... Shaking his head, he's like, everyone thinks I'm so dumb. Everyone thinks I'm so ignorant that I'm so out of touch and I have no idea what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. And I think that's when he, uh, it wasn't at that moment with the, with the word bearers, but it was when uh, basically confronted the traitor with, I know what you've been doing. I've known it this whole time. I'm not as yeah. dumb as you think I am. And... Yeah. Well, and I love when the trader's like, no, 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 it's Garstag or Karstag. What, I can't remember. Garstag. The yes, it's Garstag. He's Garstag. Like, and he's, he's like, like, yeah, he's working for me. And the guy just goes, oh. Like, oh. And again, I that's a it's a wonderful moment because it's similar to the one with Robo Girly Man, 
you you underestimated at mm-hmm. your cost, or rather, you overestimated your play and right. Because honestly, I didn't know how Lords of Silence was going to end. I didn't know because <laughs> uh, I could see it going either way. I could see it either something failing. I could see that Vorks confronts the traitor, although who the traitor actually was was not who I was thinking it was. Nope. Yeah. And, um, or it's this big over overthrow somehow. And Vorks. I actually, I actually fell for Garstag. Because remember, he even thinks he's like, I should have been the next one in charge. And he's sneaking around. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. See, I thought that was too obvious. You know, it's like, should have known. Husband watches too much, uh, NCIS reruns so it's like it's never the guy you think it is and it's always the person who is super helpful every time it's always the person who's like oh well yeah I'll give you everything or I'll tell you my entire life story yeah it's it, it's them they're the ones who did it and this one wasn't that obvious in that because Philemon was not being helpful he was pretty much like I'm just doing my own thing you know everyone just needs to leave me alone but when he tried to confront Garstag, I was like, that's interesting. But I really don't think it's Garstag. I think that's too obvious. But I had no mm-hmm. idea who. And I knew it couldn't be Dragon. Right. It couldn't have been him. Right. I would have been. I guess I didn't suspect Philemon because I liked him too much. I was like, that would break my heart. So it can't be him. <laughs> and well. And well. Um, see, I was lucky. But no, that it was a wonderful scene from a wonderful character. I mean, the fact that Chris Wright could make both of us really like a death guard. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, even when I'm reading, I was like, I'm rooting for the death guard here. And they've done this horrible thing to this poor Imperial captain. I feel so bad for this guy, especially when he goes to run out to try to warn everybody. Oh, and then he sees his reflection. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a bit. <laughs> um, so my honorable mention is a scene that I really liked it at the time, and the more the further away we've gotten from this book, mm-hmm. the more this book has percolated well with me. And it's mm-hmm. rites of passage. Okay, and it's the scene, and I think it's because, and I've decided, I figured out why this scene has just stuck in my brain so much. Okay, the whole book is really about these bourgeoisie navigators who are so pissy and they have all their little politics in all of their little games that they play bored rich people problems bored rich people problems exactly they are just awful and the main character just thinks herself so above it like she thinks she's clearly the master player right because she's made it as far as she has she also killed her husband i don't know if you remember that or not it might have been mentioned anyways um but it's the scene in which she kind of sasses the inquisitor and the inquisitor i think she backhands her and then she just explains to her and she's like i know everything about you oh and your little aide over there yeah that's my plant because that's how long I've been watching you. And she basically explains how long she's been watching. And I loved it because it wasn't just the fact that she struck the navigator, which I was like, someone needed to put her in her place a little bit because she was a bored rich person. Mm -hmm. But it was the idea more that she was like, you are an amateur compared to me. (laughs) 
Like, I'm the friggin' Inquisition. We're not playing around. We play games that go beyond your little petty politics. And so I really liked it. It reminded... Uh, I'm, about to, I'm about to reference a scene from The Phantom Menace, but the there's always a bigger fish. It yeah. gets used in memes a lot. That's the only reason I'm referencing that. But it's kind of what that reminded me of, is there's always, always a bigger fish. And when you're talking about the Inquisition... You might be a prized mutant who is absolutely the backbone of the Imperium, but you, again, you're an amateur. This is amateur hour. Or I guess if you want to quote Luther, there's always another beast. Oh, yes. Very much so. And, uh, yeah, I loved that scene. It was just so great. This next category i don't know about you but i struggled with this category a lot too oh uh, the antagonist our favorite antagonist and i think it was because last year we had such very strong contenders where we actually had now all of our books have some sort of antagonist or an antagonizing figure but there weren't this year it just didn't feel like there were a lot of really well fleshed out antagonists that we love to hate well and i think that so the uh, the series that we read that probably really had the true antagonist was the herusian wars and i think the Mm -hmm. reason why those didn't stand out is because we're still trying to figure out what the who the antagonist is we're still trying to figure out what uh, that guy, Arturio, what his game is. Right. Like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Fortunately, at the last minute, the infinite and the divine swept in with the deceiver. And to me, this was such a wonderful antagonist on two levels. Because on the first level is that it's very weird when Orokin starts talking with Vashani mm-hmm. because there's the two versions of Vashani. There's the kind of binary yes, no, please rephrase your question. She talks like a magic eight ball. And then there's the, oh, my equal. And this very obsequious kind of saccharine version of her. And we know that something's not right. Like, mm-hmm. We know something's not right there. But then when it's revealed, that not only is it not right, it's a Catan. And not only, but not only is it a Catan, darlings. It's the Catan that convinced you guys to become the Necrons. Oh, and BT Dubs, your folk hero, who is the famous resistance agent that you guys have lauded in like a 10 hour epic. And I have to say, mentioned so much that story and how important it is and how it's grown mm. in the telling over the years well by bt dubs that was that was also the deceiver i yeah. felt like one of my favorite south park episodes which is an old old one and it's where jesus and satan have oh the god it's match it's the the pilot yes it's like they're they have yeah. they yeah. have the boxing match and everybody bets on satan mm-hmm. and so he throws the match and at one point, somebody in the audience is like, what a mean thing to do. That guy is a jerk. <laughs> That's how I felt about the deceiver when he reveals. <laughs> when he's just like, oh, yeah, you're full hero. That's me, too. What a mean thing to do. 
<laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's not the pilot. The pilot's one was San- no, Santa versus Jesus. That yes. was the pilot. Okay, sorry. That was the pilot. I was like, no. But it, I think that's in one of the first couple of seasons. It, it is. It is. Because I, I, I do remember it. Because uh, it was in college and we were laughing. Oh, so very hard. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, it was, it was like, just in case you weren't sure that South Park was going to be super irreverent. That pretty much. But again, just that, what a mean thing to do. The Deceiver. Wonderful. That reveal, I mean, that kind of malice. And again, it kind of reminded me. The other reason that it was awesome was because we had talked about last year when we read Belisarius Call with him releasing that Catan shard. We were like, you know, Uriel Ventress released a shard like 400 years ago. Like, where the hell has that thing been? 400 years is like a day for these guys. This guy had been playing a con for like 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. Millennia long con. Longer than that. I mean, because... Yeah, think, exactly. Yeah, I think it was... I think when they finally got to open, it was 8,000 years after they had started. You are correct, yes. So, 8,000 years just on that con for Oricon. And oh, was he oh so patient with that. Oh, all he had was time. Nothing when you're a star god. That that was a wonderful protagonist. Just it's also I mean exactly what you expect from the a, a shard named the Deceiver. Well, and you uh, didn't see it coming. No. At like you knew that there was something bad. Right. In that you moment. knew that Vashani was not in the up and up. You knew that whatever was in that tomb was not what they thought it was. But I wasn't thinking it was that. <laughs> not even a little bit. So tell us about your favorite antagonist. Right, so this would be the Where's Lord... Where's he from? This is the Lord Quisitor Inquisitor Kisnaros, who's from Ragnar Blackmane. He was the one who decided, who basically declared war on on the Space Wolves. And said that if they didn't stop, if they didn't basically, let me back up, back up here. So these poor Imperial Guard happened to see demons. The Emperor's Gift, not Ragnar Blackmane. Right? You're right. It is the Emperor's Gift. That's right. That's right. It is. You are correct that he basically is like. Yep. He's just like, yeah, well, you know. Shame. <laughs> He's loading up his gun. Like, <laughs> Shame. So sorry that you saw this, but we got to kill you now. And the space wolves were like, nah, it's not their fault. Let them go. Like, who are they going to tell? Nobody's going to believe them. But, you know, the Inquisition, you know, there's two things going on here. One, they don't want anyone telling what they saw. And then the other one is kind of, we don't know if they're tainted or not. That's really not what it is. They say it's what it is, but it's, we don't want them telling. The space wolves prevent them. And basically, Lord Kisnaris is so upset about this, he's the one who says that they are going to wipe the entire Legion out. Which be clear, he acknowledges that they're a first founding. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was one of those moments where my jaw hit the floor. It's like, oh, he did not. And I know we talked yeah. about this in that podcast, but the arrogance, arrogance involved in that. Oh, a first founding chapter? 
I ha- I will declare them excommunicado. We will kill these people. Yeah, because they were going to totally just they're going to exterminatus Fenris. Mm-hmm. And if it and if it wasn't for I don't remember which wolf answered the phone that day when they called and they got to the planet and he's like, Is there anybody we can talk to? And he said, Give me four hours. If it hadn't been for Bjorn from waking up Bjorn, who's probably just like, seriously, you woke me up for this crap? Um, I mean, obviously, they wouldn't have exterminated them because Games Workshop would not have allowed that to happen. They would have Dallased it. It would have been like, oh, it was all a dream because there's no way they would have let that happen. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really, it was that moment that really hit for me about really how awful the Inquisition is. I was already kind of leaning that way, but it was at that moment. I was like, man, you guys have nobody's best interests at heart, but your own. Pretty much. And the whole thing, it wasn't necessarily that they were like, well, okay, let's look at this. They took several thousand guardsmen off the planet. They could start telling people this could be corruption. This could spread. One of them might have a demon. We might have a demon possession on some other planet. We're going to have to... No. It was... They defied my orders. And nobody questions me. Yeah. So it wasn't even like the guy was like, let me explain to you. Like this, okay, you know, the leg bones connect to the hip bones, connect to the backbone, connects this to... No, 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 no. It was... This guy... You guys don't question. Right. You know, and I think that's one thing, one of the great things that the Horesian Wars kind of delved into was that by having an Inquisition story that's not told from the perspective of the Inquisitor, you know, and you're hearing, you know, this poor aide who actually, you know, ends up being, you find out she's a, a, a mind slave in a way, you know, and she's, they're explaining how the Inquisition works. It's like when we, everybody has autonomous rule and they all have different ways on how and how this works, they really kind of define like the politics of the Inquisition. So I understood it a little bit more, but I still think they're awful, awful, awful people. And the Horizon Wars doesn't make that any better because again, you have even more awful, awful people doing things just for themselves, their own, their own power. And and somehow I don't think that's what Malkador had in mind. Probably not. But maybe what uh, what's her face had in mind when she helped create the Inquisition. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because she's in high favor. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. So I really struggled with my honorable mention, and I actually ended up going for Duke's Liscus from Lucas, the trickster. Mm. And I know this is probably a surprise because I think even in the book, I was like, ugh, this guy. Um, but in hindsight, the more I really thought about it, he was a fun villain. Because and I know that we said this in the podcast, but he was a very much a dark version of Lucas. And kind of the cautionary tale for, look, it's all well and good to be a trickster and to just kind of do whatever you want and have this laissez-faire view on life. But it could lead to being like this. And this guy definitely embodies that dark bohemian lifestyle that you're going toward. Well, I mean, I can see that. But honestly, at that time, I was so sick of the Drukhari. <laughs> so I think, I think distance from this book 
actually did Duke Sliscus a lot of favors because I was also very sick of just the Eldari in general. Um, but I did, I did like how very, I don't know how very arrogant he was and just so blasé about his cruelty and everyone around him kind of was. And I do like like when some of his people are getting killed and he's like, well, wasn't that clever of these guys? Like, he doesn't care. Right. Did right. make. And I was thinking about these are the characters we love to hate. And I, yeah, I mean, he was, a, he was an enjoyably dislikable guy. Mm-hmm. So I have to give it to him. Yours is. I think it was the deceiver, right? Yep. Yeah. Because again, I was kind of struggling. I was like, you know, the deceiver I did not see coming. Uh, that was actually really, really good ploy to give it a hand. He's been playing, like we said earlier, he's been playing with these guys for thousands of years. Yeah. Pretty much. All right, so let's talk favorite protagonist. These are the <laughs> heroes that we love in our books. Um, everyone loves a good protagonist. I don't know what else to say about this. <laughs> Yours was... Uh, Valerian. From Watchers of the Throne 2. Yes. So why Valerian? Oh, probably because... So... He reminds me a lot of Garrus Vakarian. He just seems like this overly awkward guy. He doesn't want a lot of attention. But he, but he always... He acts on what he believes is morally right. Um, and when he's, you know, tapped by Reboot, he's very embarrassed about it, but at the same time he understands what he's supposed to do. But one thing I really liked about him was that how he was able to kind of take it all when he was getting openly mocked for the laurels. And I was like, but, you know, because they're not supposed to be honored. That's the thing about the custodians. I love that. We're not supposed to be honored. We have like 10 bazillion names engraved in our, in our arbor you know, to tell of our deeds, but we're not supposed to be honored. <laughs> we all got our things, I guess. It's true. But I guess in the fact that how he was like, you know, handling it with the chief of the custodies who put him somewhere without telling him exactly why and how he was kind of piecing everything together. And he wasn't as obviously on top of everything or as far ahead of everything as Reboot. But he was at the same time doing that, like when he gave... Alea the dagger. He just knew he was going to have to track her down, see what was going on at some point in time. He didn't know when, but he knew that there that that this this was all going to happen. And I kind of see the end of the Watchers of, of the Throne too, kind of being like how Valeria. He's not going to be taking over the Custodes, of course, but how he is pretty much for Boots' eyes and Boots on the ground and Terra. That he's not behind the walls anymore. He's out there. He is seeing what is going on. And he's not letting the council over, you know, basically overrule the custodes anymore. Well, and I think, I think Reboot has plans for him. Oh, yeah. We know he and Alea are going to run into each other again. We have already shown that he really has desire to. And he's the one who determines that the map is in Chthonian. And like, I mean, he has this 
wealth of knowledge that's basically being wasted behind the walls of Terra. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Reboot knows, and I think he's not going to be the leader of the Custodes. No, they already have one. Is, but he is going to lead them into this new era. Of look at what we can do and what we are capable of. Right, because I think it's you know it's part of that you know because Reboot again he comes in and he's like, what are you guys doing, just hiding behind the walls? Like, you guys had purpose before. You know, kind of being that link to bringing back that type of purpose back with the custodies. How it just, you know, one thing we laughed about, you know, the first book being called Watchers of the Throne. It's like, well, what else have they been doing? Haven't doing much, but much. kind of watching the throne. They never left the walls. They don't see what's going on with the people. They don't interact with the council. You know, so, so yeah, so to me, Valyrian is. Kind of like the he's the stepping stone, the next evolution of where the custodes are going to be, and it's it's going to be great, unless they kill off Reboot, and I'll be really upset because good things are happening. Don't even joke. <laughs> I um, yes, I am. I am here for whatever journey Valerian is going to go on, and I. It feels so awful because I know that the second book like literally just came out, but I'm excited for the third book right. because I want to see what happens with this character. Valerian, I really waffled. Valerian was almost on my list as well. But I had to go with Lords of Silence with Vorks. And And he was my honorable mention. So, Right. And if you're saying to yourself, self, isn't Vorks like naturally an antagonist because he's a death guard? I would say yes, normally. But this story was definitely a death guard story. And Vorks is the hero of the story. He doesn't have to be a good guy to be the protagonist. And Vorks was such a complicated character. And I know we talked about this earlier with our favorite scenes with Vorks in them. He was this wonderful stalwart character, though, who was very introspective and constantly thinking about things and mulling them over. And no, he does not knee-jerk react to anything because he has to think it through. He actually wants to go back and do research. Somewhat, for some reason, I really liked that when he's like, I could just sit in the plague garden all day and or the plague planet and just study that book. Like, yeah, the type of character it takes to keep that kind of a record book. I mean, that's outstanding a character development. And ultimately, for me, it was this idea that Vorx is not he's not necessarily trying to like do something big right like he's not like oh i will become the next herald of nurgle or i will lead us to the walls of terra he just wants to support his primarch and if his primarch says we're going to destroy ultramar then by nurgle that's where we're going that's probably one thing i really liked about forks as well was the extreme loyalty and you know it's just so great because when you know because dragon again was not from the OG Death Guard. He got brought in later. Which again, what is the recruiting mechanism for this? I'm really, really curious. No. So he doesn't understand thing of the Primarchs. He's like, because Dragon even says they're from a bygone era. We are done with them. We need to be moving on. Which is what uh, Typhus wants to do. Well, of course Typhus does because he's got other problems. Regardless. Uh, Vorks, when he's basically like, look at Dragon's like, you don't understand 
stand. You don't know. And there's that fierce loyalty to Mortarian for what he did on, uh, where are they from? Uh, uh, Barbarous. Barbarous. Yes. Yeah, so about to say Chemos, but that's uh, Fulgrim. Yeah. It uh, sounds like it should be where they're right? from. Right. No. <laughs> but it's the same thing like with, with Fulgrim. You know, why all you know, the Chemosians would do whatever he wanted because he was their savior. And it's the same with Mortarian. He was their savior. He's the one who overthrew the tyrants of Barbaros and saved all saved all the people. So as he keeps saying, it's like, you don't understand. Like, I will follow this man to the ends of the earth and beyond. And he literally has. <laughs> you can't, I mean, he has. You can't go much further downward than, than Nurgle worshiping. Well, and I did like when he talks about, like, how he refers to the god. There are no gods. There is really only the one right god. And he even says, he's like, I mean, given all the terrible things we've done, that has to be true, right? Like, he's not this mindless blood for the blood god or Typhus is mindless, everything for grandfather. I mean, obviously... He does worship Grandfather Nurgle, but again, the fact that he's just constantly mulling things over, and I guess this year really taught me that I like those cerebral characters. Well, we got to see Mortarian kind of be like that as well. That he's not some mindless drone after Nurgle, which is one thing that Typhus can't say. He's like, I like do more for Nurgle. But why is he, you know, the demon prince? And it's like, well, because he's a Primarch and you are not and he's the greater prize so yeah sorry a, it would take a lot for him to fall out of nurgle's favor that's just how that that how it gotta be this is how it be mm-hmm. um but mortarian's the same way i mean he's you know yes he's got some revenge things going on it's like you know i really hate my brothers and my father Arr! and my other father Arr! he's in a jar if i could put the other guy in a jar that'd be great too i'm sure he would love to put his other father in the jar to oh, be honest. Uh, indubitably. Right. <laughs> but, you know, he gets blinded by, you know, you know, family problems. Like, again, they all have daddy issues. They all have daddy issues. They all have family issues. They- but, but Mortarian doesn't do anything without a purpose either. Mm-mm. No, and I did... I guess I just really liked that. And I never, and I know we said this in the podcast, but I never imagined them being that thoughtful. And like, they thought a lot, not that they brought Hallmark cards to their grandmothers. <laughs> um, they're, in that terms, they're actually not. And Vorks is not a good dude. I mean, as we said no. earlier with that captain, the way that he tortures that poor man, that story is awful and horrible. And yet... I think because Vorks is so dispassionate about it. It's nothing personal. Right? (laughs) It really isn't. Like, I I don't know for some reason, like, it was easier to stomach because you were like, oh, well, it's not like he's just like, ha ha ha, I'm torturing this guy. Laugh at his misery. Like, no, it was just kind of like. Well, also, he kind of see that he was giving him a gift by removing his heart and keeping it by him. It's like, you're never going to die. How great is that? I think that's a big part of the recruitment process. If we're being honest into the death guard, like, look, you're going to be like impossible to kill. You smell like feces and have boils, but you're real hard to kill. Right. There's that whole promise of everlasting life. 
Pretty much. So my honorable mention this year comes from Brutal Cunning, and it was Uthak Blackhawk. And similar to Vorks, it's because of how cerebral he was. Um, for an orc. Not as deep. <laughs> oh my god, there was like no depth. But I loved, the thing that I loved was that every single thing that Uthak encountered, he immediately tried to like translate it into orc and understand it, right? Like, when he sees the armor and he's just like, yeah, well, humans are weak and they just kind of love this kind of stuff. Like, the way that he just processed everything in his world around him, it was surprisingly... Again, well, it was like, you were like, huh, I didn't well, expect you guys yeah, to be so I mean, It was like, you know, they're flying by and they're, because and, uh, it's a Mechanicus planet, they're flying by and they're like, you know, I don't understand why they get so angry when you just show up and, and beat them up and take their stuff, because if they didn't want you to do that, why would they make it all so shiny and announce it from space? You know? <laughs> exactly. When they're basically like, why are you upset about this? But listening to his rationale was just delightful. And he gets a pet squig, and he's overall just really awesome. And watching his character arc was just so much fun. <laughs> and he got all these epic moments. And I mean, by the end of the book, you are cheering for Black Blackhawk. You want this guy to succeed in his quest. And, and again, kind of to quote Luther with There's Always Another Beast, you know, they get to the end of the book and it's like, okay, what are we crumping next? Yep, we took all we took all the stuff that we want, and uh, what's next? We got boss? some good booty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where to next? It was just oh my gosh, amazing! So, the moment we've all waited for, hmm. relatively speaking, our best books of twenty twenty. Hmm. I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anyone for me, but it was Watchers of the Throne too, in the Regent Shadow. I loved every part of that book from start to finish it was so well crafted I loved the, I loved the bromance between Alea and Valerian I really liked Jack I loved Robbie Bobby just pulling a giant gotcha at the end uh, I loved seeing the minotaurs the book was just awesome we talked about last year my our most anticipated book was Watchers of the Throne 2 and it did not disappoint Another thing we got to see was we got to see Imperial Fists get angry, have some emotions. That was kind of fun. Oh, that was fun. When they see yes. the Minotaurs, they are not pleased. Oh, no, no, no. That was really awesome. Um, and really for me, the scene that sells it is the scene at which Valerian is thinking. He goes to get to now, pull her out of where she is. And he's like... <sighs> Why would my boss have sent me to do this? This is cruel, even by his stand. Oh, wait. Actually, that is a little cruel from him. That's a little out of character. Why would he? Oh, I get it. He could not order me to come here and kick ass. <laughs> so right. that moment when you realize that nothing is as it seems in that world. Especially since his boss is now a council member. Yes. There were so many questions at the end of that book. Mm-hmm. So many questions. I oh, okay. I promise it's not going to be on my most anticipated list because again, it does feel a little demanding. Like I'm not, I'm not a video gamer. Um, I am. Anyways, I have strong opinions. Um, 
no, I don't need to have the next one immediately, but I loved this book. It was my favorite book of the year. I keep referencing it constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a that lot of greatness in it. There was. What was your top? It was The Emperor's Gift. That was because that it was, book struck a chord with you. I mean, it was like I said, it's it's you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and Warhammer 40k. So just yeah. And yeah, Grey Knights, it actually got me liking the sp- start, you know, seeing the space wolves in a different light. That's true. And uh you know, and I was really kind of apprehensive about Hyperion because I was like, Oh my god, this guy is Zale. And nobody cares about that guy from, from Ravener. Um but that that ended up proving me wrong because he's not the same guy. Thank God. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see the some of the process of what you go through to become a, a Grey Knight. Your uh, second, your rebirth. Mm-hmm. Which, what they, of what you go through. Um, and just kind of like really understanding them on a different level from what I've seen, you know, in the past. This is like the first time I got to see them kind of be almost mindless autumn autumn automatons because they were just kind of doing whatever they were told right and yet they ended up kind of totally switching around at, at the end so yeah this is one like i'm totally kicking myself that i didn't read it when i first picked it up but at the same time i'm so glad that i waited so we read it at the book club i would agree with that it's one of those ones that have been on my list for a long time and it was nice that we read it together for this book club because I was so glad that we got to discuss it mm-hmm. and it was it was just classic ADB it was a really well written book yeah <laughs> I don't know what else to say I mean it's, it's right? ADB and it's about the great nights like and it, it detailed an infamous event that was fun to see right it, mm-hmm. the inquisition declaring war upon the space wolves for the first time <laughs> Well, you know, really and, it, and it kind of set the stage, even though this book was written, like, uh, I forget exactly when it was written, but I know it was written before the, way before the rift opened. Uh, but it kind of sets the stage also for the whole thing with the wolfen. When that all, that whole thing happens in the Inquisition and the Dark Angels all are, and the Grey Knights are all getting involved in the poor Space Wolves business. <laughs> they can't do any, they can't sneeze without somebody going, what you doing? What's going on over there? Yeah. Yeah. I just love the Dark Angel. I mean, I love the Dark Angels, but I love they're like, what what are you doing? Skeletons you got in your closet. Nope. Nope. Ignore the man behind the curtain. Ignore our closet. We don't go into that room. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. Um, So my honorable mention, and I really went back and forth on this one. It was the infinite and the divine. And I know it's probably a surprise that it wasn't Lords of Silence, but... Infinite and the Divine skyrocketed to the top of my list because it was so funny. I don't remember laughing that much in a book in a while, let alone a Warhammer 40k book. The humor was so on point. And again, I loved this odd couple, Abbott and Costello of Trazen and Oregon, just wreaking havoc throughout time. If I had to point to the one scene that sold it to me as the book of the year, it's the Gene Stealer thing. When you realize that him putting a lictor down there, like just as a lol, right? That's a prank. Brings the gene stealers. Yeah, when he's like, "Oh, I had no idea." 
that would become a patriarch and we'd have this mess going on. No idea. Well, no, because he's just like, well, this looks fun. Let's see what it'll do. (laughs) Right? Like, again, the child playing with a toy, right? That scene, I think, probably cemented it. That poor planet was like their literal sandbox that they were building things with and destroying with. And you just don't want to dig too deeply in that sandbox because you don't know what could be hidden in there. But yeah. You're going to find cat poop. Let's be clear. Yes. Yeah. I, that book, I loved that book. I definitely, we went into it a little skeptically. It had Necrons. It was an author that we were familiar with from his previous life. Yes, and writing about video uh, games. Yes, we were familiar with that work. Um, and then hilarity. So I appreciate a really good comedy. And that one definitely, it won me over. You know, that kind of was a sitcom. It really was. I mean, like every 200 years is a new episode. Like, right? It really was. So what about your honorable mentions? So I couldn't pick because that's just how it is. So it's pretty much a tie for me between Lords of Silence and Watchers of the Throne, too. We both really liked this book. Like, I can't stress enough how much we really enjoyed this book. I mean, and other thing you guys have to understand, especially since we, Jen and I are both in video games for so long, we've been part of voting for video game year of the wards. I don't know how many times. And the problem with doing that in December is that you forget the stuff that happens before the summer and everything in the mm. fall is so fresh in your mind, like taken point and um, the infinite and the divine. So for, right. for the fact that we have two books, one that we read was the first book we read of the year, Lords of Silence, and then Watchers of the Throne that came out like in February or March. And those two books have stuck with us so much that we're still talking about this, this uh, awards speaks volumes. Because Because I've had to be a part of some more video game award crap. I couldn't tell you what released in January because, well, let's be fair. January was seven years ago. All right. That's just kind of what COVID. Oh, at had, least. That's what COVID ha- has done. But I couldn't tell you what games came out earlier this year, this summer. Mm-hmm. One thing I remember was like, oh, yeah. So, like, I reviewed Valhalla. No, that doesn't deserve an award. You know, just trying to remember things that I've played or things that I've edited and seen. And it's, and it's even harder with books because we take so long in between each one as as well it is so which is why i had to have these books so high up there and you know i think because of the covid publishing schedule we ended up going back reading older books and as we said i think if i could go back and change anything that we did this year we would not have overdosed on fabulous bill right yes if i could undo anything it would be that because, whew, boy, I have to say, we got to the end of the third Fabulous Bill book and, like, basically everything that came before that just erased, except for Watches of the Throne of Lords of Silence. Now, we did both go back through our list and read some good books this year. Mm-hmm. But really only a handful that just were like, wow. Right. Like, these are must-read books. So what are you most excited about, either in 2021 or beyond? 
Dark Imperium 3. I've been wanting this for so long. And now that Guy oh, Haley gosh, yes. has said that it's coming, bring it on. I am so excited for it. I cannot even argue with that. Like, we've been, we've both been griping about how badly we want that book to come out for so long. And when we watched the Black Library preview and they said, like, oh, Dark Imperium 3, we were all like, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Come again? Can, can you Does say it, it have again? A collector's edition? More slowly. Oh, it it better because I have the it's first. Better. I have the first two back there, and if the third one can't, you know, match, we're gonna have to buy the new hardbacks anyways because of the gorgeous art. But if I don't have a third one to match that, I will have to go to Nottingham and cut some bitches. Oh, I'll go with you. Okay. We'll, we'll, for, we'll form a two-woman picket line. It, you are all welcome to join us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sit out there with our si- with our signs, and we're not leaving until we get collector's edition of Dark Imperium three. And I'm sure that'll be wonderful because I can just imagine Eddie and Adam looking out, being like, "Oh, that's that's very odd." Anyways, apparently we need to make a collector's edition of. Does ah, anyone proper. else see the Yanks? Does anyone else see the Yanks down there? <laughs> They're kind of loud, aren't they? They're very loud when they talk about the Dark Imperium. But I understand. I uh, I also really like Dark Imperium. <laughs> I I love them. You guys, that's a pretty I love good impression. So I love them so much. And um, but yeah, they are definitely the antithesis to us because they're very reserved. Um, mine. I have to say, I want Lords of Silence too so badly. And I think with the Dark Imperium announcement, it works perfectly. Oh, yes, it does. Because they intertwine. Heck yeah. So I was just so excited when they mentioned Dark Imperium 3. My first thought, in fact, I think I even texted you as I was like, this like paves the way for Lords of Silence 2. Mm-hmm. Really excited. So that one, yeah. it doesn't even need an explanation. I'm so excited for that one. What's your runner up, though? This one's a fun one. Uh, so it has not been announced, but in my mind, this is going to happen. There is going to be a sequel or successor, however you want to put it, to War of Secrets. Yeah, there has to be. Because. A continuation of those characters, please. Well, I mean, secrets are coming out and it's just so delightful. And I we have now have to... Primaris Deathwing. So. Yeah, who. May or may not have Stockholm Syndrome. I'm not quite sure. You know, I'm still they, not sure whose team he's playing for. You know what? You know what they're kind of like. This is going to sound weird, but we were just talking about this earlier. Those guys are kind of like the Jonestown defectors. They're just like, oh crap, we have no idea what we're into. But we have to keep smiling, or we're going to die. Pretty much. And yes, contextually, we were talking about cults earlier. As one does. Yeah. Um, I mean, what actually, else do you guys do on Tuesday nights? It's very apropos for World Hammer 40k, for being honest. Anyways. Yes. Um, so my runner-up is Brutal Cunning 2. And again, I know that I just said that I wasn't going to ask for yet another Watchers of the Throne book since it just published and Brutal Cunning did just publish. But I had so much fun with that book. I definitely need more of that Blackhawk in my life. And frankly, I think the world just needs a little more orc. I can't just argue with that. Orcs destroying things. And there's nothing more dangerous than an orc having fun. 
And Amon's for cowards. I need more of this in my life. And Uthak does like having fun. Oh, he loves having fun. And uh, and his little squig, too. Yeah, we, we gotta have Princess in the next book. Uh, yeah, Princess or I riot. So, really quickly, though. That'll be your picket line. <laughs> Princess or I'll riot. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I'll have that sign. Princess, and then we'll also have a sign for the Dark Imperium 3. They'll be on separate, like, the opposite sides. So you can oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm only, like, half kidding, because then we would have an excuse to go to Nottingham. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I like, mean... I would, it would be amazing. So, as last year we talked about, like, what book we thought was underrepresented, but this year we're going to say really quickly... We both read a lot of stuff outside of the book club. And it's really funny because I think we both chose the same book. But what was your favorite book that you read outside of the book club this year? It was Luther. Oh my god, yes. A hundred times yes. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I, I wish that everybody could listen to our Patreon episode about Luther where we really dive into it. Um, so this was a... Uh, it's a Gav Thorpe book. It's part of the Horse Heresy characters series. And it goes through Luther after he is captured uh, when Caliban falls. And his interrogation over the next 10,000 years up into the point where he escapes. And it is brilliant because, you'd, you know, we didn't really exactly know what to go into, what to expect into it, especially after... So with me just finishing up reading uh, Fallen, I think it's called Fallen Angels, uh, where Luther, he's kind of going a little crazy at the end. And he's basically like, you know, they've lied to us because he's reading those books, the books that um, he promised the lion that he would get rid of. And it's like, he's been lying to us the whole time. Everything's going on here. And, you know, we're going to go up against the lion and... Um, so Hariel's just like, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I should nod and say, okay, you know, whatever you want, dude. Um, so it kind of goes through like that whole process. So I was expecting kind of that, but you don't have that. Instead, you have the very calm and together Luther that you had at the beginning of uh, the Descent of Angels. You know, and he talks about his flaws and he actually really tries to educate the Dark Angels um, you know, and it's just, it's yeah. what's so lovely about it is that, you know, he's telling all these stories, you know, from his point of view, but they're kind of parables in a way. They're his stories, but they're Very also, so. but they're also parables for what they should do. And the dark angels take the complete opposite or complete wrong thing from it. It's like I, in the pot, in the Vox cast from Patreon episode, I even said it reminded me of, uh, you uh, that web series, you know, how something should have ended in this particular case, it was how Frozen should have ended. And it's when the king and queen, they bring Elsa to the trolls and he's like, you know, fear is your greatest enemy. And they're like, so we lock her up and take her away from everybody. What? No, that's not what I said at all. So right. this is like, what? No, you're the worst parents ever. And that's kind of what happened. That he's telling one thing, and they're like, really is. Like, so we should be friends with it. Well, that's not really what I said. 
Then they come back and yell at him, he killed all of us and you told us to be friends with them. Like, that is not what I said. It's not what I said at all. And what was interesting, I mean, the book was a masterstroke from Gav Thorpe because I went into the book, like, expecting it to be kind of a little... I'm not going to be, I'm going to be honest. I was expecting the whole book to be Luther whinging the entire time about being misunderstood and woe is I. And no, it is a masterstroke because really what it says is that, and here's, it's, it's the type of delicious irony that just hits me in my cold, dead black heart. Luther ends up molding and shaping and affecting and influencing this legion way more than the lion ever did for good or bad and i mean i i think it's it's worth noting that it's my favorite book that we read outside the book club because if you listen to this podcast you know i'm really not that big into the dark angels and I really don't like the lion. I really don't give a crap about Luther. I always kind of felt bad for Luther because it was like, like you would have been really awesome had the lion not shown up. Um, like I've always, I've had a little sympathy for him, but I'm really just not a dark angels person. So the fact that this book, not only did I love it, but it was easily one of my favorite books we read this year. Like if I know we read it outside the book club, but this was probably my number three favorite book overall. Out of everything we read. Well, yeah, he totally shaped the Dark Angels. Good. Ding, and yeah. their destiny and everything. But because they misinterpreted what he said. And he's trying to say, that's not what I meant. Don't do that. And they throw him back into stasis. Because they're not listening. Yep. Which they're not is, listening, the, which is amazing. It's the perfect explanation for the Dark Angels. I mean, like, I love these people. But they don't listen. And they're only hearing. They don't communicate well at all that's what they got from their gene father 100 percent. and i think this book shows it they don't communicate they don't listen they don't talk and the fact that it ends with him escaping well that and he's just like you just leave the door open okay cool because i'll show myself out then it's like way to go asriel you had one job as supreme grandmaster one job and you let Luther out. But, but it was a master stroke of a book. And if you haven't read it, like if you're just tuning back in because we took a couple of minutes to talk about it, um, do yourself a favor and pick up Luther. And you honestly, will not be sorry. My favorite thing about it was when they're, cause they're asking him for his confession and his basically to ask for repentance. And he's like, I'm not asking it from you. There's only one person. I will only ask from the lion. And it's not only that. He's like, you, and when he tells him, he's like, you have like, the lion would be ashamed of you. Yes. That's, I liked, that's going to reside with me for a very long time. I liked that. And I liked the pull quote that they put on the back where he's like, Mm. you call me a traitor, but I have never wronged you. Like everything I did was against the lion and the emperor, arguably, but right. He just wanted Caliban to be free. That was really all he wanted. He wanted Caliban to be free. Pretty much. And you kind of understand where he's coming from. Like, I don't necessarily agree, but you, you, at least you can be like, Okay, begrudgingly, dude has a point. Hey, what was, and it's like man. when you're listening to Warmonger. 
that was that one I wrote down this well, I wrote down a lot of quotes there's this one quote that I wrote down so oh. he's talking about them like chopping down the forests and well, stuff generations of children indenture to serve in serve and serve in an indifferent lord or take it away to die in wars not of their making which is you know kind of sadly that's what the imperium was doing it's taking these planets it's bringing them into the fold oh and by the way so now you are an agri ag planet so you're not going to be supplying all the food and we'll come back and we'll take some we'll take your sons and daughters and take them off to other wars you know you can make your own planetary defense force but we're going to take the best of the best to, right. to go out and fight wars that you guys had nothing to do with and luther is seeing that it's like we have our own problems down here all we've wanted was to be free of the beasts and as he said there's always another beast well now that other beast ended up being the emperor yep it's it's a wonderful book and you know not only was it a good thing to read this year later in the year but it's a pretty good note to actually end our awards on too because we didn't read it for the book club but god it was a good book and i would say looking at our awards like when we first got to it kind of like last year i was like oh this is gonna be so hard because again with the publishing schedule being thrown out of loop you know we kind of had to make the best and we read a lot of stuff that was older right but this mm -hmm. was a really good year like we read some really great characters some great books stuff to look forward to next year i well, here's i'm the, super excited so here's the other thing so also since last year was our very first year to do it uh we only had 12 books to cover last year this year we had 24 because we actually went to full year this year that's true too we did have more books mm -hmm. um and we had started doing like once a month initially in those first few right mm -hmm. books <laughs> and we took a summer break and we had anyways this is a hectic year and it was all for you and us i had fun to be totally i had so honest. much fun and i'm so excited for 2021 i'm um, Again, I know we talked about this on our Patreon, but with the Black Library reveal and all of the stuff they're teasing and some of the stuff that we know didn't come out this year. Mm -hmm. Looking at you, Sabbath deal. Um, I'm excited. I, I think next year is going to be just as much fun. And I mm -hmm. know I teased this earlier, but Carrie and I are going to put our heads together and think of some type of end of the year or beginning of the year giveaway because we have another Lords of Silence poster. Yeah, so absolutely gorgeous. Fun, fun, funny story about that. So, you know, COVID. I, it, yeah, that's really what it is, was COVID. I had ordered that from Warhammer Arts, which is over in England. And um, when they shipped it, of course, it's the middle of COVID. It was a month and she hadn't gotten it. And by and by then the tracking had stalled out. It's really funny because if you did the tracking through USPS, it had stalled out in Chicago. If you did it through Royal Mail, it stalled out in Los Angeles. So Warhammer Art was so kind. They're like, it must have gotten lost. And so they sent another one. They just figured it was gone. Well, then suddenly that original tracking number picked back up again. <laughs> and Jen ended up getting both yes so we are going to pass the savings on or pass our good fortune we're just going to call it and it's kind of funny we're going to call it our covid poster because it's 
you know, the Death Guard. Uh, if you're curious as to what it looks like, it's basically just the cover of Lords of Silence. It is beautiful, beautiful artwork. The The poster is super high quality. I had a coupon for a coupon for uh, Michael's and it totally got framed. Get professionally framed. It's on my dining room wall, you guys. Do you know about how big it is? Because it's a good size. It's a good size, but dang Brits. It is not a standard poster size. Well, no, because it's, it's, mil- it's in millimeters. Yes. Well, typically, like most of the stuff that I've like, you purchased, even when it's in millimeters, there's we as a society, as a human, as a race of people, of human beings, genus, we <laughs> agreed that there are like two poster sizes. Black Library did not. Apparently, apparently, Games Workshop was like, oh, we missed that meeting. So <laughs> it's just a hair off. So anyways, it is a gorgeous poster. It would look absolutely wonderful on your living room or your own dining room. <laughs> if your spouse really loves you. Or the kitchen. You know, have that looking at you while you're cooking. I, you know, I, I wish I had wall space in my kitchen. I, you've seen my kitchen. There's nowhere to hang anything. Um, I would totally do that. Unapologetically. <laughs> Anyways, do you want to take us out of 2020, Carrie? God, you know what? I would have loved to. Like in March. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> but so, yes, this is the very last book club of 2020. You won't hear from us again until 2021 when we go over the darkness and the blood. blood. By, <laughs> I can't help it by saying it like that. It just, I don't know. By, uh, or by the wonderful Guy Haley. So, which is the, uh, it's kind of the sequel to uh, the Dante novel of the. The, the blood angels so we'll be that's how we start off the year with blood and then what's after that we just got so oh and then reverie that's that's the, that's the next the one. reverie which yes. is wait for it more blood angels <laughs> watered down blood okay, angels they're a successor chapter and i'm sure they're every bit as corrupt as every other euro trash space vampire chapter fight me <laughs> But these have crowns of thorns. Because they are all about... They're subtle. <laughs> That's what all the subtlety you'd expect from Games Workshop. I mean, let's be real. No, this Games Workshop has the subtlety of a 2x4. To the face. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. So I guess, you know, with that, we're going to say goodnight. Farewell to 2020. And um, I'm Alfarious. And you know what? If they come out with one next year get you that chartreuse you can see it it's like a beacon on my it is shelf. it is a shiny beacon you know it'd be cool if they oh. had more chartreuse books it's next year you guys if they came out with like a whole chartreuse line you just have this I'd one be- shelf that'd be the shiny 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 beacon everyone who came to my house i'd be like guys have you seen the chartreuse shelf <laughs> the shelf truce <laughs> oh there we go Good night, everyone.
episode of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.